0: Reality Church is a church striving to be biblical. We pray that this sermon would help you in your personal walk. Be blessed. Amen. It is wonderful to be in the Lord's house on the Lord's day with the Lord's people this morning. Um, Just want to give you a bit of insight about the leadership of your church Yesterday, I and Brother Garrett, the ordained elders of this church, as well as two elder candidates, arrived in my house at 7.30 yesterday morning. And they sat with me and participated in the preparation of this sermon. So they were at my house from 7.30 to approximately 3 or 3.30 preparing this sermon today. So, thank God for dedicated elders and elder candidates um, and their, their love of the word and their love of you because they love you dearly as much as I do. But I want to go into this message. This is, to me, one of the most beautiful messages I think I've ever created one, for one reason, because I got to do it with some of my best friends sitting in my office, but also because of what is being said here. The joy of it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this. God is our portion. Christ, our companion. The Spirit, our comforter. Earth, our lodge. And heaven is our home. We as Christians need to be more heavenly minded. Paul talks about this in today's text, I think, very clearly. and, and Let's ask ourselves, what is, what is the hope of our lives? What is the hope of our lives? And I hope by the end of this sermon that we will clearly know and understand what the hope of our lives is. Now here the infallible inspired word of God, Romans 8, 18 through 23. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope The redemption of our bodies. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for your word that it is infallible and errant and inspired that the Holy Spirit inspired men to write these words specifically to teach the church what God has said. Help us to see you clearly revealed in this, God, your attributes, the joy that we can take in you and what you have said. God, remove that veil that that's all we see is you in the scripture. Holy Spirit, illuminate it for us. Make it something that we walk in, something that we desire daily to dig into. Sanctify us by your truth. Your word is truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is such a hopeful set of verses to me. I find hope all throughout these verses. I think it's beautiful. It's well written for one thing. Paul is an excellent writer. I don't know how if you've noticed this. The, the epistles of Paul are, are master classes, I think, of writing styles. It's my kind of writing. He, he, he writes in a way that every person who would read it May have to dig a little bit, but it's understandable. Uh, The the big theologians call it the perspicuity of Scripture. What does that mean? For us country boys, it means it's simple, it's written, we can understand it. But what we see here is beautiful hope in Christ. So, let's start with last week. Verse 18. I'm going to read it to you again. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. In this verse, we see contrast of sufferings and glory for the Christian. That really there is no comparison. The light afflictions that we have here on this earth do not compare to the weight of glory, which we will see in Christ Jesus when we meet him face to face. After this life, we will receive that inheritance that is being prepared for us, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. But in this set of verses, Paul goes past just what we can see for us as Christians. I think this this verse is very important. Verse 18 is very important to to set us up for what's coming because we see within us that sufferings and and glory, there's a contrast in life and that that glory is so much more than any suffering we may face. But in this set of verses, Paul goes on. Paul goes into a, a much deeper, more full scope of the problem and the solution. And it's a problem with all of creation, not just in our lives as Christians, when we face things and we struggle and we have afflictions, but it's a problem of all creation. So this, this actual sermon might be, might seem a little bit different than what we normally do. Usually we'll take the verses and sometimes we'll break them into phrases. Sometimes we'll break them into verses. Sometimes we'll break them into words. But this one may seem like it's skipping around, but listen, Paul is taking us somewhere specific. So let's just all go on the journey together, okay? We're going to get there. I want to start with verse 20. And listen, if we can all go on this journey, I think it'll change all of our lives. I truly do. Verse 20 is where we're going to start. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly... But because of him who subjected it in hope. Futility here. Some uh, translations uh, call it frustrations, some call it vanity. It's called many different things, but futility, I think, is an interesting word that I think we need to dig into what it means in the context here. Charles Hodge wrote something in his commentary that I think is awesome. Uh, about this particular verse and about this actual particular word, in his commentary, he says that futility is the opposite of the perfect state or glory. So, futility is the opposite of the perfect state for for any person to be in for the to be in the glory of God. Futility is the opposite of it. So, he's saying that the world isn't perfect. It's fallen. Can we agree with that? Yeah, I think we can, right? Why is it like this? The verse answers the question. It says, Because of him who subjected it. Who subjected it? Now go with me on this because you're fixing to see in scripture that I can we can kind of back up what, what we see here and what it is saying. Who subjected it to the futility? God. Why did he subject it to futility? Sin. That's why. Genesis 3. We're going to go through verses 17 through 19. This is after the fall, after Adam ate of the fruit, after. Eve was deceived by the serpent, right? And ate the fruit and then she gave it to her husband and he ate of the fruit. And what has happened? It is original sin. It is the fall of man. This is what God says to Adam. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the plants of the field by the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground for out of it you were taken for you are dust and to dust you shall return Adam's sin changed everything about the order of things we're no longer just given things on this earth as Adam was we have to work for our food. We have to work for it. What did, what did God tell Adam when he placed him in, in in the garden? He said, You can eat of any tree, except for that one. Your food's there. But now he tells Adam, Now though, you will have to till the ground. You will have to work. And you're gonna sweat. Who's had a garden? Who's sweated buckets in a garden, right? Gardening is not easy. Especially if you garden like my mama did. My mama didn't make a little cute garden that would feed us as a family. She made a garden pro- approximately the size of two of these buildings. And I'm talking about it was you get home, you start working, you're digging potatoes, you are cutting okra. You're, there's a lot of work to it. Adam, when he was placed in the garden, did not have to do that. Not only that, now man has to kill animals to get the, the protein that he needs for the day. And the animals are killing each other now. They weren't doing that before. You see, there's something wrong now. What is it? Sin. Sin. We work the land by the sweat of our brow. And, and it's the same now, right? What does the Bible say? You don't work, you don't eat, right? You want to get groceries? You better get up in the morning and go to work, right? Or get up in the morning, get on the cone truck and drive it over and sell some snow cones, right? You must work to eat. But then, the verse adds these two words that don't seem to fit with what the theme of the verse is. You know, we're talking about how the earth is subject to futility. It's the opposite of glory. It's a hard place. There's beauty on this earth, but guess what? It's dangerous. It's a place where we have to work. We have to be alert. We have to do these things. But then he says two words that just don't seem to fit. In hope. In hope. In hope of what? It sounds pretty dire that now, that now we don't get to pluck the delicious fruits of the garden. Now we've got to dig those rows and we've got to work it. We've got to fertilize. We've got to water. Some of us may have to build a greenhouse. You know, we've got to do these things to get food. You know, we've got to go to the grocery store and spend half of our check just trying to get enough food to feed our families. Right? This is hard. Where's the hope? But yet he still puts in hope, and Paul doesn't just put empty words at any time, especially prepositional phrases for those of you who like grammar like I do. A prepositional phrase describes something. He never puts one if it's not important, and he says in hope it was subjected to futility. In hope of what? Well, in order to see that, we need to go back to verse 21. Verse 21 says this that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. First, let's get a true definition of an often misused word, hope. You see, hope isn't what we think it is, I don't think, sometimes. It's not like when you say Man, I sure hope so. You know what that is? A wish. Webster, in his 1828 dictionary, which still has the proper definitions of words, by the way, has a wonderful definition for hope. This is what he says hope is. Hope, confidence in a future event, The highest degree of well-founded expectation of good. As a hope founded on God's gracious promises. That's the hope that the earth has. That's the hope that we have as creations of God. God subjected the earth to futility because of sin. But listen to me. He never intended that to be final. It was never final. Because there was a plan. Before the foundation of the world, the plan of redemption had been shed forth. So there was a hope. Not a wish. A hope. A confident belief in a future event that God would come through on what he had promised a solid and sure hope so what is the hope what is that solid and sure hope well just before he tells them he's fixing to subject them to futility that the woman is going to have pain in childbirth that the man is going to have to work 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 to get anything in this in this world that by the sweat of his brow he will eat that he will die one day what happens right before he says that? He gives them a sure hope. What is it? Genesis 3:15. I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. What was the hope? That God gave, even though it was about to turn rough, that one day the seed of the woman would be born and he would destroy the work of the enemy. Who was the seed of the woman? This hope is embodied in one place. The hope will stand through all generations. The hope is Christ Jesus Himself. The redemption, the atonement, the payment, the hope, Christ Jesus himself. Paul then makes an interesting point in verse 22 when he says, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in pains of trial birth up until now. So up until now, it's been waiting and it's going to continue waiting until what? It describes creation as longing. The earth and all of the creatures in it are longing for something. How many of you know what it's like to be longing for something? I do. I remember being a kid longing for Christmas to come to get a special present. I remember what it was like when we were having trouble getting pregnant and longing for the moment when the test would be positive and now I know the moment of longing as my son is growing in my wife's womb and longing for the day that we get to meet him face to face we know what longing is but this is a longing that is powerful because it ties it to childbirth that there's deep Intense longing within creation. For what? Well, let's look at the clue that's given in verse 19. Verse 19 says basically the same thing. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. What is it longing for? The revealing of the sons of God. We have learned who the sons of God are. We've talked about that pretty in depth, I think, as we who are in Christ. So we could ask, haven't we been revealed as sons? Based on the context of this verse, I would say, of this, of this set of verses, I would say not exactly. Because here's the thing. We kind of physically look like everybody else right now, right? But we also know that we long for more as, as Christians and but what about creation? What are they? How are they also longing for something that they seem to reject, right? The unbeliever, it may seem as though they're not longing for anything to do with God, right? How many of you have talked to those people? They don't want nothing to do with God. They don't want to hear about Him. They don't want you to talk to them about Him. They don't care nothing about God because they are good living their life, Right? In fact, if we were to look, it, it kind of seems as if they're longing for everything except God. But there is a longing in every man. There is a longing in every man. What is that longing? You've heard it a million times. What does it all mean? What's the purpose of all this? Right? Right? they don't know that they're longing for their creator because their creator is the one who gives them purpose, right? And, the, and when they will see it is when the sons of God are revealed to them or when they repent and believe the gospel. That's when we start to see what it all means. So when they ask, what is the meaning of life? And then you see them do this, right? They get hopeless, right? It all seems futile to them that they work so hard. Yet when they die, they just go into blackness, right? But there's nothing. It seems futile, right? Kind of like futility, like we talked about in the beginning. So the unbeliever longs, just like the Christian longs. And guess who else? Guess what else longs? Creation is longing as well. We see famine all over the planet at any given time. We see drought in this country. Um, I believe Nevada is on like, I think, maybe six, seven years of drought in one area. Can you imagine that? That many years of drought? We've gone through drought that was a few months long and it was torture, right? I mean, there's drought all over the earth. There's there's decay in the earth. There's corruption in the earth. How how do I know that? Well, I watch Homestead Rescue. When they go to a place and the well they dig is full of salt water and and they're landlocked, there's corruption in this world sometimes. There's natural disasters. Listen to me. The animals kill, the, uh, kill other animals. We have to hunt for our food sometimes. There's corruption in this, in this creation, but it was never meant to be like this. The way God created, what did God say when He created everything? He said, it is good. And now we can look out, and it's beautiful out there, and I love nature, I love hunting, I love all those things, but that isn't the good that God talked about when He originally made this place. It was never meant to be this way, but sin has entered in. Verse 23. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Where is this? is the most longing coming from really where is most of the longing coming from in this world for the revealing of the sons of god where's it coming from it comes from us we who are in christ we groan with longing let's establish what we are seeing here being explained here by paul it says we who have the first fruits of the spirit what does this mean? Because it's, it's an important phrase. What, is the, what are the first fruits in us? A regeneration. Our heart of stone removed. We're given a heart of flesh. We are a brand new creature. Our souls are made brand new, right? That is the first fruits of the Spirit in we who are in Christ. And it's not the final fruits, but it's the first fruits. We're going to talk about the final fruits here in a minute. That is why there's such a battle. Listen to me. I want to to explain something to you. I want you to understand what you're feeling, okay? That's why there's such a battle within us. Because our soul has been made new. We're a brand new creature within. Our hearts are brand new. We're different, right? Yet, in our flesh, we struggle with sin still. That's the battle within you. The first fruits of the spirit doing its work. Yet my body has not received the final fruits. We hate ourselves sometimes, right? Because I do what I hate. And the thing I want to do, I just most of the time don't do that. That's why we can say, "I think altogether in our hearts, if we're in Christ, thanks be to God for the mercy of Jesus Christ shed forth on the cross for us. That His mercies are new every morning and new every day." The next thing to establish is adoption, because we know that that according to Scripture we have received the Spirit of adoption as a guarantee of our sonship, right? We definitely know that we have received the spirit of adoption. We are sons and daughters of God, right? If we were in Christ, it's absolutely certain according to Scripture. But here it says that we're we're actually groaning eagerly awaiting the adoption of sons. So does this mean that it's already happened? Well, based on the text, it, it hasn't already happened So what does it it mean in this context? We've received the spirit of adoption, but it says that we're waiting eagerly for the adoption as sons. Okay? I've received the spirit of adoption, but I haven't... I'm still eagerly awaiting adoption as sons. Well, let me clear some things up for us. How do we find out the context of this? I think it's very simple. Are you ready for some super excellent Bible knowledge tips. If it seems unclear, sometimes we just need to keep reading. Keep keep on going. Because what does it say after the comma? It says that we're eagerly awaiting the adoptions of sons. Comma, the redemption of our bodies. So what is it we're all longing for? including those who have passed away, we're eagerly awaiting the redemption of our bodies. 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are, As he is pure. So. Where is the redemption of the bodies in scripture? Very simply. And the son of man shall appear. With a shout. With the voice of the archangel. And the trump of God. And we who are alive and remain. Will not hinder those. Who have gone on. But the dead in Christ shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain. Will rise to meet him. And in that moment, we see the redemption of our bodies. The final resurrection, also known as our glorification. Glory is the sure promise of God. And that is when the adoption is final. The salvation is over. The process is done. The pride of price of adoption paid and completed. The best moment of any friend that I have that adopts a child on this earth is the day that they post on Facebook the picture. We haven't been able to post it till now, but this is my son or my daughter. God will be able to present his sons and his daughters glorified To this creation. You see, for us in Christ, our physical death is kind of actually closer to birth because one day we will be reunited with our body and glorified. And what glorious joy we can take in that. So, what can we take from this and apply it to our lives? What can make our lives better today in thinking about this moment? Of glorification, when the revealing of the sons of God takes place, when Christ Himself returns and calls us home and changes us in the moment in the twinkling of an eye, what can we apply to our lives? I think at times, uh, sometimes these eternal truths, we don't see the significance for today. But I think that this actual truth, which is an eternal truth, which is a huge, (laughs) overarching eternal truth, One of the most powerful truths we face. You see, as as we were discussing it yesterday, as we were going through this sermon, what did Paul constantly get arrested for and challenged on? He preached the resurrection of the body on the final day when Christ returns. That's why he was constantly arrested, constantly laughed at, because that's the promise that we have in Christ. In all truth, th- this should be a truth that echoes the clearest throughout all of our entire lives. So why does this, what does this eager waiting work in us as believers? Number one, I think it works confidence in trusting God's promise. God has promised to save us. He promised redemption Throughout all of Scripture, we see types of it throughout all of Scripture. He calls Abraham out. He saved Noah out. He pulls the children of Israel out. He calls 12 disciples. He is constantly redeeming. And then he says, And now not just the Jews, but the Gentiles can get the gospel. So, what is happening is we have a confident trust. God promises redemption. And through Christ, we can trust that he completes redemption. Number two is that we can have peace in all circumstances. No matter what I face, the promise of God is absolutely true. His word has said what will happen to me. In every circumstance that I face, I have peace knowing my Savior is Christ alone. And in him, I place my trust. Number three, we have a solid citizenship. We discussed this morning in Sunday school, and you know, I guess probably all of us have been discussing it at some point over the past couple of years, right? My American citizenship is very shaky right now. I don't know where we stand as a country. It's weird. This is a, this is a weird world we're living in right now. So my citizenship here, as an American, feels shaky. My citizenship of the world feels shaky. But there's one solid citizenship that I can count on. This world is not my home. That I am a citizen of heaven through Christ Jesus himself. So that is a solid citizenship. Number four. We have freedom from fear of what man can do to us and the fear of death. We as Christians stand upon the most solid ground of any human being alive. We stand on the rock of Jesus Christ. That no matter what man chooses to do to us, it changes nothing about my eternal state with Christ. That no matter when I die or how I die, my election and complete salvation is set sure only because of Christ and not me. There's a man right now in Canada who is still standing. His his appeal was denied. Pastor James Coates is still in jail. And he's going to be there until May 3rd or 5th. May 3rd through the 5th, he's supposed to get a try. Why is he there? Because he preached the gospel to a full church. And you know what? That's a man. He stands no matter what may come against him. We as Christians need not fear death. For death just brings us closer to our Savior. Closer to the time of the glorification of When we are reunited with our bodies and we are forever glorified with Christ, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is. So we have freedom from fear. Number five. We have contentment in knowing that this isn't it. This isn't all there is. This is a moment. This is a breath on the full scale of eternity this isn't all there is we look around the world and we see people constantly trying to change the world to fit how they like but we know as christians this isn't it i'm content with how this is because i know that there is a great powerful inheritance wonderfully made by my savior waiting for me outside of this world so this isn't it This isn't our best life because our best life comes when we are with Christ. So I don't have to try my hardest to make this my best life when I know that my best life is with Him and it's the one that lasts forever. Praise God for that. Number six. This waiting works in us a desire to know our God more. To be in the scriptures where we see him clearly described, all of his attributes, all of his glory, all of his love. To be in prayer where we can come to him in worship and in, and in honor and bring our petitions to him knowing that he is faithful and just. We can bring our sin to him knowing he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It gives us a desire to know our God even more. And number seven, this eager waiting will work in us a passion to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ. Listen to me there are people right now who in their minds, all they can think about is what does all this mean? And what they need is the gospel of Jesus Christ explaining to him that what all this means is, is that God created this world. Man fell in sin. Sin is offensive to our God. And the only hope we have is that there is a mediator. That mediator is Christ Jesus What response should we give in knowing that our mediator is Christ Jesus, that we repent and trust in him to save us because we can never save ourselves on this earth? That is what it all means. It means that I need to turn to Christ and not myself. That's the meaning. And this eager waiting that we feel burns in us a desire for more people to know that. More people need to know about Christ. Let me give you a reason why this is such a beautiful thought. This is such a beautiful high idea for us to to grasp and chew on. Isaiah 11 verses 1 through 9 says this. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch With the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips, he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and the faithfulness, the belt of his loins. Now listen. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb and the leopard shall lie down. With the young goat and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together and the little and a little child shall lead them. The nursing child. Shall play over the whole of the cobra. Let me go back to seven. cover the sea. I don't know about you, but that sounds pretty nice to me. A restoration. When creation is restored to the creation that God called good. When the wolf doesn't attack the lamb when the leopard doesn't attack the goat, when the bear doesn't attack, when a lion will eat straw. When a child like Jesse, I know he he's excited about this part when a when a child can play with a snake and not worry about getting bit. That sounds pretty nice to me. No more pain, no more conflict, no more tears. When Christ comes and restores. I want to read to you one of, I think, one of the most powerful verses in all the Bible Revelation 21 5. And he who was seated on the throne said, Who's seated on the throne? Christ, he said, listen, behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. What does it all mean? What does it all mean is this. If everything was fair. And we got what we deserved. We would all instantly be thrown into hell to receive the wrath of God for our sin. That's fair. But guess what? God is merciful. Because before the foundation of the world. He shed forth a plan to redeem his people. Christ came. And on the cross, bore your sin, bore the full wrath of God in punishment for your sin, and then he died. And three days later, he rose again. Why? Because he's making all things new. Now he's seated on the throne with all power and authority in heaven and earth. And what is he doing? He is making his enemies his footstool. Guess who are his enemies? We who were his enemies. And how is he making us his footstool? He is resting upon us because he is drawing us unto himself and saving us out of this world. And we are now sons and daughters of God if we are in Christ. He's making all things new. And one day... Whether we're here to see it or not. The son of man will appear. With a shout. With the voice of the archangel. And the trump of God. And if we've passed on. If we've been. If our souls have been with Christ. Guess what? In that moment. The grave will open. The body will be reunited with the soul. And we will rise to meet our Savior. If we are alive to see it. Which would be pretty cool. Because the graves are going to open. And all these saints who have gone before us. Are going to rise to meet our Savior. That would be pretty cool too. Then we will join Him. And instantly in the twinkling of an eye. We shall be changed. To what? The glorification of. The glorified body he has promised through Christ. Because why? Because Jesus is making all things new. And then the wolf will lay down with the lamb. The lion will eat straw. The snakes won't bite. The bear won't attack. Because he has made all things new. Comfort each other with this thought. One of the highest thoughts in all of Christianity. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, first of all, in worship, for you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of all adoration and glory in this world, and we lift it to you above all things. Father, we could never even comprehend the wonderful, inheritance you have for your sons and daughters. We could never imagine the glory of what awaits us. But we know that you are making all things new. And just as you gave us a brand new heart one day, we will be glorified in the body. No more sin, no more pain, no more conflict, no more evil. We will see you face to face and we will be like you for you have been conforming us to your image through the power of the Holy Spirit all along. And one day the work of our salvation will be completed in us as we stand before you and see you face to face. We are so comforted by this. Father, I pray for those who don't have this comfort in life that may be asking themselves, what does all this mean? God, may they hear the gospel, the truth of what it all means, that their lives may be changed forever, that they may have a hope and a glory to look forward to. Sinner, repent and trust in Christ, for he is your only hope outside of this world, because this isn't all there is. There's so much more in him. Father, we thank you for that. Give us peace and joy as we go about our day. We love you. We praise you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.